Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these young friends and for their evident love for Jesus Christ and for the school from which they come. We seek your benediction and blessing upon the good work of that school and ask that you will prosper it. We pray for their loved ones, many of whom are far away in other countries, serving you as missionaries of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we seek for them your protection, uh, your inspiration, uh, your provision, your guidance, and your love. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to know Christian friends throughout this area. We bless you for the memory of Roger Coleman and for his love for Jesus Christ and his love for both these institutions at Ben Lippin and here at Montreat and this church also. I'll bless each of the churches from which we come. You know what their needs are and you can best meet those needs. And we thank you, our Father, that you see deep into the recesses of our own hearts and minds. You know what word we most need to hear today. Those of us who are faced with problems that are difficult to surmount, and those of us who are faced with uh, problems that are concerned with examinations in the week in front of us, those who have health needs, meet each of the needs of our hearts and lives, we pray, and take the money which we give, which represents a, that which you have entrusted to us, and use it to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And now make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I changed our scripture reading around because I changed the sermon around. And <laughs> I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, we've got all kind of people here this morning. We've got people with gray hair, no hair, and a lot of long hair and short hair. Uh, and so I have to speak to different kinds of people. I saw a letter the other day from a college girl that she had sent to her parents, and some of you might learn that it's in putting things into perspective that you can sometimes get your parents to do what they, you want them to do. Uh, you can even make yourself look good if you know how in a bad situation. She wrote her mother and dad, Dear Mom and Dad, I just thought I'd drop you a line to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy named Jim. He quit high school after the 11th grade to get married. About a year ago, he got divorced. We've been going steady now for almost two months and plan to get married in the fall. Until then, I've decided to get an apartment. Uh, he's an alcoholic, but I think I can help him. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, uh, although I'd like to finish college sometime in the future. And then the next page. Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that everything I've written so far in this letter is false. None of it is true. But Mom and Dad, it is true that I got a C- minus in French. And I flunked math. And it is true that I'm going to need more money for my tuition next year. <laughs> 
after that, she probably got it. <laughs> but there are problems not only that young people have to deal with, but some of the rest of us have problems that are particular to our station in life also. About the time our face begins to clear up, our minds begin to get fuzzy. Uh, as we grow older, everything hurts. And what doesn't hurt doesn't work. <laughs> the names and phone numbers we keep closest to us are the rescue squad and the doctor's office. Uh, we finally reach the top of the ladder and find out it's leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> we begin to look forward to a dull evening. Some of us sit in a rocking chair and can't get it going. <laughs> It's really embarrassing, though, when your knees uh, a buckle, but your belt won't. <laughs> and it's awful when your back goes out more than you do. <laughs> I hope I don't get killed for this, but it's also embarrassing when the little gray-haired lady you help across the street is your wife. <laughs> I've got a platinum blonde. You can't tell the difference. <laughs> now then, on a more serious note, <laughs> we want to talk this morning, I was trying to think of something that would be uh, helpful, especially to students and especially to those of us who are older too. And uh, so I began to think about letters that are written under trying and difficult circumstances. The epistle to the Hebrews has always been one of my favorite uh, letters. We don't really know who wrote the epistle to the Hebrews. We know the Holy Spirit ultimately wrote it. We don't know who the author uh, actually was as far as the human author is concerned. But we know that he knew a lot about the Lord and the Lord's dealing with people in trying and difficult circumstances. He wrote that letter to Christians, and some of the evidence seems to indicate that they were Christians in the city of Rome, Christians going through a great deal of persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ, and Christians that remind us of some of the Christians today in the world who are also beset with horrendous difficulties. I think of Christians in China and of the persecution that they uh, face, even now with the relative relaxation of attitudes toward uh, the practice of Christianity there, uh, there's still much fear and uncertainty as to what might happen. Last uh, summer, we had in our home some China missionaries for an evening. And uh, Dr. Tommy Brown of our Board of World Missions was there. And uh, there were a number of Chinese, uh, former Chinese missionaries and some uh, just from mainland China uh, present, some Christians. Uh, one Christian lady, a distinguished professor and scientist, uh, asked if she might speak to me for a moment privately. And we went aside. I noticed that she walked with a tremendous limp, and I thought maybe she had had an operation on her hip that had uh, caused this, and uh, uh, I spoke to her finally uh, about this, 
And she told me that during the Cultural Revolution in China, when the Red Guards went rampant, that there was a great anti-intellectual campaign. Not only was it against those who were professors and teachers, but it was also against anyone who might have had any Western leanings. And that especially took in those who might have been sympathetic to uh, the Christian faith. And this woman who had friends who knew our own Dr. Nettie Greer, who used to live here in Montreat, uh, had been taken out of the university, a distinguished university, with a great position as a professor, and made to feed swine in a, in a, a big communal farm and live in a dormitory. She was a, a small, tiny lady. And when I asked about the injury, she had been trampled by pigs, and one of them had bitten her. And as a result of that terrible infection, she has been crippled for life. The burden of her conversation to me was that she loved this valley. She felt the presence of Christ here. She had friends who knew Dr. Nettie Greer and many other missionaries who came from Montreat and who went to China and who spoke often of this place. And I thought, what a small world it is when you know Christ. There really is no barrier. And she told me of her son and of how she wanted very much for him one day to come to Montreat Anderson College. Last week I received a folder uh, with many of the requirements being met and if our own school is providing some funds and other friends are seeking to gather funds in the hope that that young man can come here and study. Uh, when we think about the persecution that exists uh, in parts of the world that we don't even know about here. We're beginning to learn about it, but it's just a way of life for Christians there. We need to remember that the Christian faith has often been compared to a race. The race begins by looking to Jesus. Look unto me and be saved were words that once caused a 16-year-old boy named Charles H. Spurgeon, uh, who had trampled his way through a snowstorm to a little uh, church in London, uh, where the minister did not even get there. And he heard that text from Isaiah, and he looked to God, and he was saved. The preacher didn't, uh, the layman who had taken the preacher's place did not know what to say, and he was so excited that he just kept repeating the text again and again, look unto me and be ye saved. And Spurgeon said, I did look, and I was saved. He looked to God, and he looked to God's Son, Jesus Christ, and he was saved. And so the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews writes to these Christians, perhaps in the city of Rome, being persecuted because they are Hebrews who have turned to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, and so their Jewish relatives and friends have rejected them because some of them do not accept Jesus as Messiah. And then rejected also by the Romans because the pagan Roman government was against any god but Caesar. 
And so the writer, in starting to bring his letter to a close, says, Therefore, since we have so great a crowd of, cloud of witnesses surrounding us, a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, I think of Dr. Nettie Greer watching us today here in this chapel, Dr. Nelson Bell, Ed Curry, Gay Curry, so many, many others. Therefore, let us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one who begins the race and the one who finishes the race, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he is saying to these Christians, don't think you are the only ones who ever suffered. Your Savior was nailed to a cross. Don't be frightened by this. Don't be frightened by this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame. He took the humiliation and the shame. Sometimes we're humiliated or shamed. Like this poor little lady that I told you about earlier and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We are not to grow weary and lose heart. If you saw the film Chariots of Fire, and I hope that you did, and if you didn't, I hope that you do. My wife says I could get a job playing a bit player in it. I've seen it so many times. Uh, uh, you know that Eric Little, that great Scots uh, runner who also uh, ironically died in China as a missionary of the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, Eric Little uh, beat Harold Abrams, uh, the great uh, Jewish runner from Cambridge. And uh, Abrams, you remember when he is being told by his coach, the one thing you cannot do is to look aside. Harold Abrams had looked aside to see where uh, Eric Little might be. And Eric Little looked straight toward the tape. And when his head went back, he broke that tape, and he won the race. And Abrams was infuriated at himself because he had allowed himself to commit the one fundamental that is, just cannot be done. He had been distracted. He had looked aside, and he lost the race, and it, and it caused him great anguish. Last uh, summer, I had a very dear friend preaching here for me, a Scotsman, uh, and uh, he is an older man now, and John knew uh, Eric Little. And I asked uh, John if he had ever seen him run, and uh, he told me that he had played rugby against him. That's their form of football, only it's football without pads. And uh, uh, my friend was playing for uh, the University of Aberdeen, and Aberdeen was playing the University of Edinburgh, where Eric Little played. 
and he said they had been warned by their coach to beware of Eric Little, that he was a fierce player, and that if you tackled him, you had better tackle him with great discretion. And uh, so uh, I said, well, what about the film? Was it true? And he said, listen, Eric Little was not that skinny. He said he was built like a fire plug. <laughs> he, sa he said, uh, I'll never forget it because I was 17 years old and I thought I would be a hero and tackle Eric Little. And he said, that's all I remember. <laughs> he said he, he knocked my lights out quick. And the next thing I knew, he was back picking me up and bringing me to. He said, I remember he was very kind after he'd knocked me out. <laughs> and uh, uh, he could remember that about him. Uh, well, Eric Little knew that to win a race, the head was back and the eyes were fixed on that tape and he ran toward it. Now let's look and trace briefly uh, one person's pilgrimage with Jesus Christ and see what we can learn about it in looking to Jesus. Well, the one with whom we all identify amongst the apostles is probably uh, our old friend Simon Peter. I love Peter because he was the only person who had to take one foot out of his mouth to get the other foot in. Uh, he was always saying the wrong thing, and that seems to be my plague also. Uh, now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around Jesus, listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now remember, Peter is one of those fishermen, he's washing his nets. They'd been fishing all the night half asleep because they're so tired and trying to listen to whatever Jesus was saying too. And Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked Simon, can I use your boat? Simon said, go ahead. And he, he asked him to push it out a little from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitude from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. You know what he was thinking? You're a great preacher. But listen, man, I know about fishing. And you're telling me to push out into the deep? And we fished all night long and we didn't catch anything? And then I think Jesus must have checked him with one of those glances, and Peter quickly said, But at your bidding, I will let down the net. He knew he'd better do what Jesus said. And so, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. They were so full of fish. But when Simon Peter saw this, he realized something. Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' feet and cried, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter 
looked to Jesus and pushed out into the deep and caught the great catch of fish with his partners. And then amazement seized him as he realized who Jesus was. He had been talking about the kingdom of God and suddenly it dawned upon him that this was no mere mortal man who had spoken to him. And Peter realized his own unworthiness and sin. In other words, Peter looked at himself. He looked in. He saw his sinfulness. And then he said, depart from me. Go away from me. I'm not fit for you to use. For amazement had seized him, that is Peter, and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus did not depart from Peter as Peter requested him to do. But Jesus said, You come after me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You caught a lot of fish here, but you're going to catch a lot more than fish. You'll catch men. You see, Peter looked at himself. When we look at ourselves, we catch nothing. When the disciples cast their nets in, as Jesus commanded, the nets were overflowing. When it dawned upon Peter that the one who had been speaking the word of God to them was more than a mortal man, this unworthiness caused him to admit his own need. And God can do great things with a person who admits his need. If you do not admit your need, you don't need a Savior. You will when you face God on Judgment Day, but you don't need him now. You don't need him now. That's one reason we don't change our ways. We play at Christianity. We look at ourselves, said Corrie ten Boom, and we become depressed. For almost 20 years now, I have worked closely with a psychiatrist in Asheville. And the most frequently frequent illness that he has to treat is depression. And we have talked hours upon hours. In fact, week before last, we went fishing for the first time in a long time together. And I was thinking about that net full of fish this morning and how they wiggle and wake you up real quick. And I was, Bill always teases me, he takes me where I don't catch any fish and then I get discouraged. And then he knows where there's some. I think he's always got a few staked out that he knows where he can take me to just before we go home. And I flipped the spinner over in that area and began to, to wind it in, and wham, a big trout hit it. My, my whole attitude changed <laughs> very quickly. I felt terrific. It's wonderful, the things you can forget about when you've got a big trout on the end of that pole. And... <laughs> That's, that's better than Librium. It, it, it's better than Valium. It'll, it'll help you out. And he knows that. And uh, he's a, a great psychiatrist, but he also knows that people need to look away from themselves. 
And he tells me often about people who come to him, constantly telling him every little detail of looking inwardly and how they frequently use the expression, I need to get away from myself. And that's so true. We do need to get away from ourselves. We not only make ourselves sick, but we make everyone else sick when we get so bound up. I read a statement about some woman, Helen or whatever her name was, It said that she was like a little island bounded on the east, west, north, and south by Helen. That's bad. The second distraction is circumstances. In Matthew chapter 14, which I don't have time to read, in Matthew 14, Jesus had commanded the disciples to go to the other side of the lake. He had been fishing. Uh, He had been preaching to the people. And uh, he had sent them away. Uh, And he told them, by the way, he said, I'll meet you on the other side. Now remember that. I had to speak with a precious little lady Friday afternoon for whom life is ebbing quickly away. I read some passages about heaven, just scriptures that have to do with heaven. If I know that I'm going to meet her on the other side, it's not so bad. You can take it. You can take it then. Well, Jesus had told the disciples he was going to meet them on the other side. And immediately he made them, he constrained them, he ordered them, he commanded them to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, Jesus went up into a mountain himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. He was there alone. And he was praying for the disciples, but the boat was already many stadia. That's where we get our word for stadium. It's a unit of measure. Many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves and the wind. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened and they said, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, always the one to speak. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. I think that was a very great mark of courage on his part. I don't know that I would have wanted to step out on the waves, but Peter did. But seeing the wind, you see, he took his eyes off Jesus. He is distracted. Like Harold Abrams looks aside. Eric Little breaks the tape. Just as before Peter had looked in at himself, here he looks at the circumstances that he is surrounded by, the boisterous waves, and then he begins to sink. He doesn't have time to say the Apostles' Creed. 
He can't even get out the Lord's Prayer because water is already in his mouth. But he says, Lord, save me. A three-word prayer. Very effective one. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they were back in the boat, the storm, the storm stopped, and they worshipped him, saying, You are certainly the Son of God. You may be going through a storm now uh, of circumstances that you don't have under your control and cannot control. But remember that Jesus not only is praying for you, Jesus, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you in that distraction of the circumstances. He, if he has sent you to a place, the safest place for you to be is where he commanded you to go. He prayed for his disciples and he came to help them. And uh, this is what we are to keep in mind. Jesus was watching and Jesus was praying and Jesus came to them in the storm. They didn't even recognize him. But when he said, it is I, take courage, do not be afraid, he speaks to us in the storms of circumstances that may come to us in life. And then lastly, in John chapter 21, Peter finds another time in which he is distracted. We all know that beautiful scene in which Jesus reinstates Peter into his service. When Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think he must have meant the other disciples because Peter had said that night in the upper room that though everyone else should betray him, he would not betray him. And Jesus knew that Peter was speaking beyond what he would be able to perform. He knew that that night he would betray him before the rooster would crow the next morning. And he warned Peter, just as pride goes before a fall, so Peter had bragged here, and so he falls. Jesus had warned him. And then Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I think he must have been speaking of the others who were there. And Peter could only answer, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He asked him a second time, do you love me more than these? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he asked him a third time. And we're told Peter was grieved because he asked the third time. And then Peter said the most beautiful thing to me that he ever said. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know me like a book. You know me through and through. You know when I've tried and when I've failed. You know I love you. And then Jesus gave him a command, a commission, to feed his sheep. I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't throw us aside when we fail. Remember that. There are a lot of people that will throw you aside when you fail. There are a lot of people who will tell you they've forgiven you when they haven't forgiven you. They don't know how to be crucified with Christ. And they'll hold it against you. But don't be guilty of that. 
If you are, you're not right with Jesus and your own prayer for forgiveness is not going to be answered. The way you get forgiven is to forgive others. And if you can't, you're going to be in great trouble. I had thought this morning for a while that I would speak on Galatians chapter 6 where we are told if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of meekness considering yourself lest you also be tempted. And I did take the trouble to look very closely at that text in its original. And do you know what that means? If you see someone who is overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. The word restore is the same word from which we get uh, the word orthopedic. Last Sunday, Sandy Bam was here, orthopedic surgeon for... Uh, East Texas University. He fixes a lot of broken bones. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one, mend such a one in a spirit of meekness or gentleness. I'm sure that when one of those football players gets a bone broken on the football field, that Sandy doesn't go out there with a crowbar and a monkey wrench. That's the way we like to restore such a one. That's the way we want to correct them. But gently, gently, feel carefully before you start pushing that bone around. And remember yourself, you're not perfect, and I'm not either. And that means that we have to forgive each other. And when we remember that, then the Lord speaks to our heart the word that we need to hear. We get our eyes on other Christians. Peter said when he looked at John, what shall this man do? And Jesus said, if I will that he tarry until I come again. What is that to you? You got your own job, Peter. Do that. Don't be distracted by looking at other Christians. You forgive those who have failed. I have forgiven you. And don't you worry about what John's going to do. You spend your time doing what you know that you ought to do as a Christian. You know, the other day, uh, when was it? Last week, uh, last Sunday, some people took us to lunch in T.W. Wilson's. He's a great storyteller. And uh, someone at the table asked Dr. Wilson to tell the story of Henry Clay Morrison. He used to preach over at Lake Junaluska. I don't know whether he ever preached here at Montreat. I'm sure he did. He was a marvelous preacher. And one of our young men in our church here goes to Asbury Seminary as a senior there, Skip Taylor. And he says that there are many memorabilia of Dr. Morrison there. And uh, the most famous story of Dr. Morrison, many of you young people perhaps have not heard. Dr. Morrison was converted when he was a young man over at Franklin, North Carolina, near there. He was plowing out in the field, and he said that he would never forget it. 
he was an orphan boy, and he had to work out and work very hard for farmers or whatever job he could get. And he said one Saturday, he was thinking, when I get through plowing today, I'll get paid, and I'm going to take my money, and I'm going to go get drunk, and I know some boys that I want to be with, and we're really going to kick up our heels. And he said the devil's crowd were about the only people it seemed like who would take him in or who liked him. And that's a terrible indictment of those of us who are Christians. We ought to be willing to uh, befriend other people and show them the love of Jesus. Anyway, he said that while he was thinking about what he was going to do that evening that was very bad, that there was a Methodist preacher who didn't even own a horse, who had a black suit on and a big Bible that he carried under his arm. And he said that preacher had been talking to him and talking to him about giving his heart to Jesus. And he said when he looked down the furrows of the field, he could see way in the distance that Methodist preacher walking toward him. And he said he was a long way off. But he said, I began to think about that old man and about how much he loved Jesus and about how much he loved me and wanted me to do what was right and wanted me to give my heart to Jesus. And Dr. Morrison said that he fell down in the plowed furrows in that field and he asked God to please come into his heart and to change his life and let Jesus be Lord of his life. And Dr. Morrison later used to tell this story to the preacher boys at Asbury Seminary. And he said, that's the kind of preacher I want you to be. So good that a man can get converted looking at you a half a mile away. <laughs> and that's the way we want to be. We want to live for the Lord so faithfully that our presence will speak for him when our words might timidly falter. What we are speaks a lot more than what we say. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Jesus Christ who loved Peter so much that he was not satisfied just to borrow his boat or even have a nodding acquaintance or an admiration for the big fisherman. But that Jesus loved this man so much that he broke right through every barrier, right to his heart of hearts, and found him. Lord, help us not to be distracted, but to look right at Jesus today and to be thankful that the same search is underway for each one of us, so that your love, which is so great, that it is able to find us, each one, just as surely as it found Peter, can take us and make us what we ought to be. Help us to really believe what we say we believe, and behave like that belief demands. Help us to respond to what you are seeking to do in our lives. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God our Father, and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.